Okay, shalom ubracha, everybody. Thank you for joining. We have no live audience today. It just shows you how people are going through the Shovevim blues. <laughs> to explain, Shovevim are these next six weeks from Parashat Shmot to Mishpatim. So it's a month and a half. Shmot, Vaera, Bo, Beshalach, Yitro, and Mishpatim, six parashas, where we're reliving the exile in Egypt, okay? And Rav Nossin, on this lesson, lesson 24, he explains pretty clearly what is the main exile? What is the main uh, effect, impact of exile? It's on a person's simcha, on his joy. When we say somebody's in galut, in exile, it means they're trapped inside this depression. For example, we have all these people in America, in Florida, or no, no, Miami, New York. They have these fancy schmancy houses and three garage doors and everything. And you would seem to think that they're happy and they're not happy. <laughs> you see that they're not happy. All types of tzuris, all types of tzarot and difficulties because what is called happiness is happiness. What is happiness? It's not the gashmut, for sure not. Happiness is being able, like Rabbi Nachman explains in this lesson, to be able to perceive Hashem, to see the light, because light is simcha. So light and simcha are connected. There's many, many verses that connect light and joy together. And when we say light, it means the infinite light, the light of Hashem. True simcha is when you feel the connection to God. You feel so good about who you are and that Hashem loves you and Hashem wants you. And you feel that and you're happy about that. You're happy to do the mitzvah because you know they have a value. You have such a simcha in what you're doing in life. Ah. You're not in exile. Going back to Egypt, the exile is we're reliving the feeling of concealment that Hashem doesn't want me. That was that's what actually happened on the physical level in Egypt. The Jews felt they're all alone. You know, they're in slavery. They're enslaved. And there's, there's a concealment. There's a darkness. I don't see Hashem in my life. That was the exile. And the goal of the redemption was to shine the light of hope the light that Hashem loves them and wants them, and that would bring simcha, okay? That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu came to Egypt and he told them that Hashem has sent him to bring them out of the land and to give to their children the inheritance of the land, it says, Vaikdu, Vaishtachavu, the exact wording, I forget, please forgive me, but the Pasuk says that when the Jews heard the good news, they bowed as if to give thanks, thanksgiving to Hashem, on the good news that they're going to be coming to Eretz Yisrael, receiving the Torah, and will have offspring with Hashem. So this idea of, of, of joy is that it's joy vis-a-vis -vis with Hashem. That's true simcha. But simcha in this world, oh, I need to take a vacation, I need to enjoy myself, relax, and run away. Run away from what? From life? <laughs> the whole idea of life is to be connected to Hashem. What are you running away from? All the grind and everything... So that's understood if now your grind doesn't allow you to learn Torah, to daven, to do it, body do it every day, then I understand why you need a vacation in order to run to Hashem, a vacation from the physicality of this world to run away to Hashem. When people, for example, take a vacation to come to Eretz Yisrael to get a boost, you know, to go to Kibbutz Sadiqim, the Kotel, to learn Torah here, that's a, that's a true vacation. That's a real vacation. But just a vacation to run away from life, well, what are you doing? Life 
is the greatest way how to connect to Hashem, depending how you live your life. If now Hashem is part of your daily living, Bezat Hashem. With all that said, Bezat Hashem, um, some insights on just Parsha last week. There are just two verses that stick out so much. Uh, and Rabbi Nachman brings them in this Torah. The Pasuk of Sikelet Yadav, that Hashem, that Yaakov switched his hands to bless Ephraim and Menashe, like we know. And also the other famous verse in the blessing that Yaakov gave to Yosef, where it says, Vateshev Be'etan Kashto, right? And we're going to translate it based on how the Gemara and Sota translates it. Vateshev Be'etan Kashto. And then it goes on the verse, right? Vayafozu Yadav, Vayafozu Yadav, Rashi brings the Gemara on this pasuk. Let's go to the second pasuk, where Yaakov, uh, so Yosef was so tempted to be with Potiphar's wife, and he was about to be with her. And the Gemara says in Sota that an image appeared in the window of Yaakov Avinu, and the image told Yosef, my son Yosef, if you want to lose your stone on the Choshen Nishpat, on the breastplate, if you fall in temptation and be with this, this woman, this, this Goya, this, this lady, uh, Potiphar's wife, you're going to forfeit your stone. Among other things, they're going to lose also Alam Haban, all these things, you're going to lose your stone on the Choshen Nishpat. We went into this, if you remember details, when it was the Parsha and when we dealt with this verse. But the Gemara goes on to say what happened after that, when Yosef saw this vision, and he was already so heated up sexually to be a Potiphar, that he was about to have an emission. So to overcome the sexual heated, heating up, what did Yosef Atzadik do? He quickly fell on the floor, standing, in other words, putting all of his weight on his five, ten fingers. He opened up his hands, and he put all the pressure of his body, like a push-up, but on the fingers, not on that, the, you know, when you do push-ups, you do on the palm of your hand. Here, Yosef, in order to activate pain, he put all the pressure of his body on his five fingers. So the pain should distract his temptation and his heating up of the sexual desire and distract it and take it away. So the Gemara says he succeeded, but not fully. He succeeded in that he was able to not have an emission, but he didn't succeed. The Zohar says, the Rashi brings it down, that 10 drops came out of semen. This is hard to understand. Came out, some say, from his fingers, from under his fingernails, and some say from between the fingers. But in other words, the seed was emitted not as a punishable type of a wasted seed, because it wasn't considered a wasted seed because it didn't come out properly. It came out from a different part of the body, so it's not considered zera levatala. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. But it, the, 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 Zohar, the Gemara says on this, that he did this, and it's hinted to in the words, kashto, and he was able to retract the, you know, he got heated up and he had an erection, the keshet, I know we're going into details, but it's necessary to hear the words of Torah here, Keshet is called as a term for an air a bow. And it's also a reference to when a man has an erection, it's called a keshet. So the verse reads, kashto, was able to restore, to retreat, to draw back with force the keshet, his 
being heated up and having an erection to be, God forbid, with Potiphar's wife. Oh, and it says afterwards that they came out that the seed came out from a different place, so it shouldn't be considered wasted seed. It came from yada, from his hands, from in between the fingers. Now, all this was due to thanks to the, the hands of the doing, the hands of Avir Yaakov. Avir Yaakov, the Gemara gives two explanations. Avir means the strength of Yaakov, which is referring to Hashem. Hashem is called the Abir Yaakov, the strong one of Jacob, who Jacob relies upon is Hashem. That's one explanation, Abir Yaakov. Second explanation, it's referring to Yaakov himself. Abiruto shel Yaakov, the strength of Yaakov himself is what caused this thing to happen. So now the question is, the commentaries say on this, was Yaakov even aware of what was happening in Egypt, that his image appeared to his son Yosef? So the answer, he wasn't necessarily aware. But because of his high level of holiness, Yaakov Avinu, that he was, if you want to say, Yosef Atzadik's Tzadik. Yosef Atzadik is called the Tzadik, right? And who was his Tzadik? Who was Yosef's Tzadik? His father, Yaakov, right? It says, Beit Yaakov le'esh, Beit Yosef le'lehava. That Yaakov is a fire, and Yosef is the flame of the fire. It's the flame which is built on the initial fire, which is the fire of Yaakov Avinu. So Yosef is built on Yaakov Avinu. He's a, he's a tzaddik. The image of this tzaddik came to save him. And, and even Yaakov wasn't aware about it. And Rabbi Nachman has a nice lesson, a little short lesson, where he says this is something phenomenal. When the image of a tzaddik comes to save a person, this from Nosson develops in the Kutei Alachot. He says something amazing. This shows you why you need so much a tzaddik in your life. Because what, is, what does it mean to be attached to a tzaddik? You know, leave me alone. I have my Torah. I have my shul. I have, when I have halachic questions, I have the rabbi. I have the weekly sermon. I have all these amazing classes online and everything. Why do I need a tzaddik? What am I missing? <laughs> what are you missing? When you are tested big time in life, the tzaddik connection is to guarantee that you don't fall off totally. You may fall, but you don't fall off totally, like many people do when they're tested. So sad, and you hear many cases that a guy, a, 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 a Hassan and Kala, they get married, they start a nice family, and they're from, and they have one, two, three, four, five children, and then internet took in and destroyed the marriages with the smartphone. She starts speaking to other men, and he also starts doing watching other things, and the whole marriage gets messed up, and it has Ashba, the whole family, and they fall off. And it's not one or two cases, it's so many cases. This is an example, just saying that people are tested in such a way and they have no catch net underneath and they fall off totally, they drop everything totally. Whereas, whereas if a person had, has a tzaddik, a true tzaddik of high caliber, Rabbi Nachman says in lesson 30, don't aim low, aim for the best tzaddik possible. He says Rabbi Nachman, he was against doctors. We said, but if you're going to go to a doctor already, go to the best. Don't go to some despicable low life who doesn't even know how to read. Go to the best doctor that there is that, that can help you. So too spiritually, when you want to come close to Hashem, look for the big tzaddikim. Go for the big shots. Don't go for the low guys. Aim high because you're going to need it in life. Because you have no idea what challenges you're going to go through in life, which will force you to need a high 
dosage of energy in Kedusha way above your level to help you. So this idea of Yosef, the image of a tzaddik, coming to a person to save him. He was about to fall, according to his high level, Yosef a tzaddik, to fall, a major fall. Hashem sent him the image of Yaakov. This is how it is, Rabbi Nights, that when you attach to a tzaddik, the tzaddik is able to shine his light into your darkness, the darkness that you're going through, which is so dark, which is, by the way, the idea of the lights of Hanukkah, to shine the light of Hanukkah into the darkest places of your life, the darkness recesses to shine a light of hope and simcha to continue. There's a story told of, um, of uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Gelbach. Yitzhak Gelbach, he survived miraculously the Holocaust because he was sent to Siberia for a 10-year sentence. He was a wrestler, a boy, a young teenager who came close to wrestling while in yeshiva, the, the Polish yeshivas. And when his yeshiva flew, because of World War II, they escaped and went eastbound to Lithuania and Latvia. So the communist Russia, Russians who were then charged, they caught him for making a 10-year Jewish calendar. He made, he printed a calendar for the next 10 years. It's called the 10-year calendar, okay? And uh, he got caught doing that. So the communists sentenced him. They said, you, you made a 10-year calendar, so we're going to put you in Siberia for 10 years. In the end, after 1945, the end of the war, because he was a Polish citizen, he was sent out early, Hashem, so he didn't have to keep his 10-year sentence. It was like two years, whatever. But to survive Siberia was a miracle. When he went, he almost died. One of the stories told about him is that in Siberia, they had the, the section where the food was, the storage of the food. They didn't have freezers, obviously. You don't need a freezer, really. But you still needed to watch the food from predators. There were wolves who tried to sneak in and steal food because they had also proteins, dairy, whatever they had in the cap in Siberia that was frozen, whatever. But the wolves could smell it and detect it and they tried to come. They tried to snatch and steal food. So they needed to position a guard every night with like an axe or something, a shovel, in order to flow away any, any wolves who tried to come in the middle of the night to steal food. And it was a dangerous job because many times the guard would fall asleep on the job because they didn't sleep, they didn't rest during the day in order to stay up. The, 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 the slave, the prisoner, would work during the day and then the, and when it was his turn and when it was his uh, cycle to stay up all night, it, it was all after staying, being up all day and then staying up right afterwards the night. So many people, many of the guards would fall asleep on the job and the wolves would attack them also. The wolves would eat the people also. So when it came to Yitzhak Gelbach's turn, he was sitting there freezing cold. Again, it's freezing Siberia cold, okay? And he started to doze off. And he said, that's it, I'm finished. You know, I'm going to die. I'm going to die being eaten up by a wolf. I'm not going to have a Jewish burial. Nothing's going to be left in my body. I'm finished. He dozed off. And while he dozed off, he saw an image of the, the Breslover Chassid responsible for bringing him to Breslev. His name was Rabbi Yitzhak Breiter. He was killed in Treblinka by the, by the Nazis. And he came to him in his dream and he said to him, this is what I taught you? I taught you how to die like a Breslever? I taught you how to live like a Breslever, not to die like a Breslever. And he woke up from the dream and he gave him such a boost, he survived. What's the point? Manosa brings this point up. When you have a tzaddik in your life, he's there to send you messages, like, you know, Morse code, he sends you the codes to wake up, not to give up. That's why you need a tzaddik. 
on your own, for sure you can have best in life and you'll fall. Yes, you have a tzaddik, a big tzaddik. He's there, he's out there watching you, helping whenever you really are about to fall off totally to give you that hope. It shows you also, we do sue, sue people who seem to have been close to tzaddik and they did fall off. So you see them afraid retroactively that, or was just for a little time and then they changed their way of thinking or two, they were ne never, never really close. It was just for a show, just for show and just for an external expression showing people that they're, ah, oh, he's a real chassid, this guy is a real follower of tzaddikim. And then you see how he falls and crashes and you get shocked. How could that happen to him? Then you see, or retroactively that he was never really close. It was all a fake. It was all a show or he changed perspective. Okay. But the point is, Rav Nassim says, and that, that's what comes out of this parsha, is that, that the image of Yaakov came to save Yosef. So too, whenever a Jew is in need, the tzaddik comes and sends a message to the person. It can come in any format. It can come in a newspaper, come into like a, a bus driver. It doesn't have to be like a tzaddik talking to the person, but he's there. If he's passed on, he sends a message to the person to wake up and not to give up. That's a major point that comes out of the parsha. And Rav Nosen connects it to this lesson. How the, the main light of the tzaddikim is the light of simcha. Like the verse reads in Mishnah and Proverbs, or tzaddikim yismach. The light of the tzaddikim, they bring joy. That's why you need so much a tzaddik. Because it gives you light, which is this light, the infinite light that we're talking about in this lesson 24. And the main um, uh, sign, indication of infinite light in a person's life is if he has simcha. Or tzaddikim ismach. Tzaddikim shine this light into a person, yes. And it brings a person true joy. That's the sign that a person is connected. When you see this person is happy for tiny things. He's happy about his life. He's happy about the day that he has and the time he has to do mitzvot and to learn Torah and to daven and to be involved in whatever. And he feels good about it. That person's connected. He's in the ballgame. Okay? With this said... We are now, we're now going to continue where we left off here in lesson 24, paragraph number five. Okay, we want to finally finish this amazing paragraph. Okay, so he said like this, uh, it's in the middle of paragraph five of the Kutimuran lesson number 24. So just recapping a little until we get to the point, we want to finally finish this paragraph. So he says like this, he said earlier, that when a person merits to have the hands activated, the hands means the concept of the hands, and specifically it's referring to Hashem's hands. When Hashem's hands are activated, like in the Pasuk we say every day, three times a day in Ashrei, right? Hashem, you open your hands. We say, Hashem, you open your hands, and you give satisfaction, satiation to all living, to all those who are living, but according to the Ratzon, Ratzon, their desire is what dictates how the satiation comes down. If it comes in the format of Sechel, which means the, the intellect to perceive and to, to contemplate and to look to connect to Hashem, to understand how to relate to Hashem, how to come closer to Hashem, that's the raw form of the bracha that comes down. That's the ideal, and that's what a person should aim for. And if he's not interested in that, he wants to have the Gashmir, the nice house, the Bane, Chayim, Zone, to enjoy himself. And he's focusing as that, as the Mekor, the root. So he transforms the Shefa coming down, transforms it to something else, but he's losing out, obviously. So Rabbi Nachman gives advice. Therefore, 
someone who's a Baal Nefesh, and we went into that many, many times, that a Baal Nefesh is someone who's concerned of the soul. His concern is to master how to uh, connect to the needs of the soul, even though he goes through so many ups and downs in life, he doesn't stop his yearning and davening to come close to Hashem. He doesn't say, ah, it's over with me. I'm never going to make it. Take off the kippah, take off the payas, take off the beard. Just be like everybody else because anyways, you're never going to make it. He doesn't say that. He falls and falls big time. But yet, he keeps on expressing his nefesh, his soul. Hashem, I want to be a good Jew. I want to come back to you. I don't want this garbage. I still want to connect to you. That's about nefesh. So someone who is like that, who's a warrior, that he keeps on wanting the holiness, wanting to connect to Hashem. Such a person has to always direct his desire to draw down What do I want, Hashem? I want you. What would I want? To have a health and children in Parnassah Hashem. You know what I want? What I really want? I want to connect to you. I'm saying it. I'm articulating it. I'm expressing it. That's what I want. So that's the intellect to know how to connect to Hashem. Okay? Bechinat. And we said this idea of Sikelet Yadav by Yaakov. The parsha we just read last week, that last Shabbat, that Yaakov switched his hands. Sikelet Yadav. Rabbi Nachman is bringing it here as an initial proof. Sechel is in the hands. Like the verse said, Sikel. The, the, the idea is that Yaakov switched his hands, but the wording used is Sechel, to say that he did this with with intent. It's amazing, just as a beautiful, beautiful Midrash Rabbah on this Pasuk, the very, very last Midrash in the book of Bereshit. At the end of Midrash Rabbah, the book of Bereshit, you have what's called Mosaf, additional Midrashim, that for some reason weren't put in the Parshiot at the time they were written. They were added on afterwards, but from the authors of the Midrash, these are Tanaim. So there's a Midrash that says, about Sikelet Yadav, that Sechel refers to Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration. But Yaakov Benu was inspired by divine inspiration to switch their hands. And it just says that divine inspiration can only rest upon a person when he's happy. That's why when Shaul HaMelech was depressed and he didn't have divine inspiration, he called in King David to sing to Emenigun. Out of the music, the commentaries explain, would bring him to be happy in order to have Ruach HaKodesh again, okay? So that's the story about Shalom El being sad. So he needed music to bring him in a state of joy. Why? Because joy is the prerequisite for Ruach HaKodesh. You need that for Ruach HaKodesh. So on that, the Midrash uses this verse here, connecting it to another verse uh, that's read in Haftarah on Rosh Hashanah, believe it or not, connected to the blessing of Yaakov. Where it says, right, Tirgalti Yaakov, I forgot the exact wording. The famous Haben Yakir Li Ephraim, Im Yelet Shashuim, Kimi De Darmi, Borzachos Kerenu Ot. It says there, Tirgalti Lefraim, Kacham Al Zeroecha, Kachem Al Zeroecha. So the Midrash connects Kachem Al Zeroecha to what Yaakov told Yosef about his sons like when they came in, when he brought Menashe and Ephraim before him. So ya Yaakov lost the Ruach HaKodesh and he assumed it's because there was a psul, there was a blemish in the future offspring of these two sons. So he said, who are they? So ya Yosef Davin, he says, these are my sons, Banaihem, that I, I, I had 
through this ketubah, he showed, he showed Yaakov the star ketubah that he married in a kosher manner, Asnat Bat Potifera, and these are his sons. And he saw the Ruach HaKodesh wasn't coming back to Yaakov, so Yosef started davening, and the Ruach HaKodesh came back, and then Yaakov said to Yosef, Kachem Elai, the same three letters, Kuf, Chet, Mem, that also appear in that Haftarah, on Haben Yakir, the Ephraim, Tirgalti Ephraim, Kachem Azoratav. So the word Tirgalti, what's this word, Tirgalti Ephraim? So the Midrash says something amazing, that the word Targil Tirgalti is, is connected to like a word in Aramaic or in Greek. The Midrash says, Bargil, Bargil, Hashem said to his Ruach HaKodesh, Ruach HaKodesh of Simcha, this funny word, Bargil, Bargil, that Hashem is telling the Ruach HaKodesh, which comes out of joy. It's a funny word. Bargil, the Midrash interprets it to mean Ruach HaKodesh, it comes out of joy, right? Come upon Yaakov Avinu, Bargil, Bargil. As that's what the verse says, that Hashem says, Tirgalti Ephraim. I allowed the Ruach HaKodesh, which comes about through joy, to fall upon Yaakov for the sake of Ephraim, for the sake that Yaakov will understand through Ruach HaKodesh, coming through Simcha, to put his right hand on Ephraim. Why is this so important? Because from Ephraim will come forth Yahshua Binun. And Yahshua Binun is really the true Bechor of, the real Bechor of Yosef. Because Yahshua Benin is the one who brought the Jews, Jewish people into the Holy Land. And to prove that, the Midrash says that if you look at the age that Yosef Atzadik passed on was 110, and the age that Yahshua Benin passed on was also 110. They both passed away at the age of 110. So that, that, that was like, that was needed. That wouldn't have happened if Menashe was, the, was on the right hand and to get the prominence the priority blessing of the Bechora. It only would happen if Ruach HaKodesh came along and mixed it. And why was it next to to mix it? Why was it Ephraim born as the proper Bechor? Because this is how things are now in Galut. When things are in exile, Rabbi Nassim explains, in order to be the Simcha, in order to serve Hashem, sometimes you have to do things which look weird. Mishunim. person does things which look very quacky, very strange in people's eyes. But he knows he's doing the right thing. This is what Hashem wants. I know this is what Hashem wants. And it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to be happy about it. Even though other people seem, it doesn't seem proper in their eyes. That's the idea of switching the hands. It wasn't proper. Yosef Atzadik, you know, he represented, you know, the stuck up. He's a tzadik. He represented the people who are in a way, you know, very solid and organized and structured. And everything is amazing. And they develop themselves. And they don't go through what shlapi people do, unfortunately. So he thought, Quran Menashe. Yaakov, Ruach HaKodesh saying, no, it's going to be on Ephraim. The Ephraim type of people, Ephraim type of tzaddikim. We went into this in the previous classes. The tzaddikim who are more concerned, you know, serving you food, doing things on the side to help other people, you know? I just saw an amazing story this week of Rabbi Luzer Kenig. Rabbi Luzer Kenig, he was one of the, 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 the Breslev leader of the community in Sfat. And he never found it beneath his dignity to help others. There was a time where they had in his building a very old man who was like a widower. He had no one to take care of him. And Rav Kenig himself would get his wife to prepare food. And he himself would take the pot of the cooked food to bring it himself. He wouldn't like said, bring it one, give it to one of his kids, okay, bring this to the old man there. He himself, to bring joy, simcha to the old man, would bring the food himself to the old, to the old man. 
This idea of a shrine, you're taking away from your prominence and your dignity in Kvodah Torah. Where's Kvodah Torah? Where's the honor of the Torah? No, no, no. We're doing to help other people. This is a shrine, true, to make fruit, products that, that, that there should be development. So this was Sikel et Yadav. So just the Midrash is amazing that Sikel, it brings this word Bargil, which is Tirgalti, the verse from the Haftarah there of Rosh Hashanah. Tirgalti Lefraim, I allowed Ruach HaKodesh, it comes about through Simcha. In our context, Sikel et Yadav, the Sechel of Yaakov Avinu's hands was through Ruach HaKodesh, which is through Simcha. And that's what Rehman says here, to reach this level of the intellect of the hands, the prerequisite is joy. Remember, that's how the lesson began. The joy of doing mitzvot, doing mitzvot of simcha is the prerequisite to reach this type of intellect, which is the concept of the hands. So Rabbi Nachman's proof, the hands are the concept of the second, meaning the blessing of intellect. And in the second verse he brings, that the hands are connected to God, to wisdom, is this verse from Azir Shir Moshe. Last class, we began to open it up a little. The verse reads, right? It's the end of Azir Shir Moshe, translates as the following. Hashem, bring the Jewish people, bring them. It doesn't say to the end, no, bring us, Moshe Rabbeinu had a foretaste that he's not going to enter the Holy Land. So he said, and when the Jewish people sang it, also they didn't enter the Holy Land. It was on their children. Bring our offspring and let them taste. The word means to taste. Also means to plant. Let them be firmly rooted and planted. Bring the, our Jewish offspring and have them firmly planted. In the, in the mountain of your inheritance, which is the place of the Beit HaMidash. Okay? Where is that? The verse continues. Machon can mean like a foundation, a machon, a strong base of where you, Hashem, will sit, which on this, these words, the Midrash, the Gemara says, don't read machon, don't read a basis, but add like a second valve. So it's mechuvan, that it's facing the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, the Holy of Holies, was facing directly underneath where Hashem sits in heaven. Where does Hashem sit in heaven? On the throne of glory. Okay? Meaning, Beit HaMikdash lemata, mechuvan keneged Beit HaMikdash lemala. The Holy Temple on earth, in Yerushalayim here, by the Temple Mount, is directly facing the Holy Temple above. That, that's why the whole airspace above the Holy Temple is totally holy. It's totally, even though it's technically moving, the celestial bands are moving, right? Still, it's facing in the upper heavens, whatever, directly above the place of the Beit HaMikdash is where the temple is, the upper temple. And in particular, Hashem's Kisei HaKavot. So it's two things. It's the Holy Temple above, which, which within it, is Hashem's heavenly throne, which is facing directly above the Holy of Holies. The Ark in the Holy of Holies was directly underneath Hashem's holy throne in heaven, okay? So, that you, Hashem, have made, which is referring to the third temple, which will be made by Hashem's hands, 
Mikedash Hashem, referring to the, te the, the temple Hashem, of Hashem, that your hands have established. Okay? So the whole Gemara went into this beautiful Gemara, that Kodesh Mikdash refers to that knowledge, the knowledge of Hashem. Because the Gemara says uh, that we find two verses, one verse that has the, a name of Hashem before and after, the Kiel Deot Hashem, the Lord is a God of that, of knowledge. Kiel Deot Hashem, Hashem knows everything about you also, that's Deot Hashem. And then you have this pasuk here, uh, Mikdash Hashem, Pa'alta Hashem, Mikdash Hashem, the word Mikdash has Hashem before and Hashem after. So Rabbi Lazar and the Gemara, sorry Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Lazar, they make a connection. They say this is between two names of Hashem, and this also is named between two names of Hashem. So it comes to show you a connection between these two concepts of Da'at and the Mikdash. The, the, the Gemara says like this, whoever has Da'at, it's as if he, he built the Holy Temple. The Holy Temple was built in his lifetime. That's the idea of the connection. So in our context, if the Gemara opens up the word Mikdash to Da'at, says as if the verse reads, Mikdash Hashem, which translates in our context, the that knowledge of Hashem, have been established by your hands. Your hands, Hashem, are the establishment of that, Mikdash, which is what we're trying to say. The hands are the concept of that. The question is, why did Rabbi Nachman bring two verses? What does he come to add by this second verse? You just said, the word Sikel, like the Midrash says, is Ruach HaKodesh, it's Sechel, it's intellect, holy intellect. Isn't that enough, Rabbi Nachman? You, you, you already explained the idea. Sikel et Yadav, Yaakov Minu's hands is perfect. What do you come to add by telling us, Mikdash Hashem Konenu Yadecha? So they explain the commentaries that Sechel is the intellect of Hashem, but then you can use it and then divert. The classic example was Rabbi Merbalanes's Rebbe, Elisha, Elisha ben Avuya. He was such an outstanding Torah scholar. Once on Shabbat, uh, Rabbi Mer was walking next to Elisha, but Abu fell off the path. He was desecrating Shabbat. And he was walking on a donkey. And Rabbi Mer was escorting him, walking next to him, asking Torah questions. And while walking, uh, Elisha ben Avuya stopped and he told Rabbi Mer, you're not allowed to walk further. This is the point of the border for the tomb of Shabbat, the border for Shabbat, you're not allowed to walk further than this point. And Rabbi Meir said, how do you know? He said, well, while I was talking to you, I was counting your steps. So I knew based on your steps. So so sharp and so brilliant and so bright. Rabbi Meir said, you're so sharp and brilliant. You know, why can't you use this for the Torah? Come back. We need, the Torah world needs people like you. So he said, there's no hope for me. That's why I can't come back. Because <laughs> I heard the heavenly voice, by the way. Come back, Shovevim, the wild, wild children, people fall off. except for Acher. Elisha ben Abuya earned the term Acher, means another one. Because he fell off the path, he was called Acher, another one. Okay? So he said, I have no more hope. But that's an example of someone who had the intellect of the Torah so strong, and yet afterwards it didn't shine into him. The second verse teaches, because you see, when Sechel comes down to you, it comes down big time. And even, even that your intent is to receive the Sechel intellect of Hashem, but it can be misused. 
So the second verse teaches you mikdash, use the secha that you're now given, you're blessed with, for the sake of the da'at, which will initiate kedusha, kodesh, mikdash Hashem. In other words, to sanctify the secha that's coming down, it's one stage to receive the intellect. Now, what are you going to do with it? That's mikdash Hashem, the second verse. Mikdash Hashem the sanctuary of Hashem, which is holy dot, which is for the sake of building the temple. The Maharsha explains what's the connection between dot and Mikdash. What's the connection between knowledge, wisdom, and the temple? Both had a have had and have a specific mission. The purpose of dot is to draw two opposites together. That's the dot. Take the physicality of this world and take the spirituality and show how they mend, to show how Hashem is found in this world. That's Torah study. Torah study uses all the details of this world in relationship to serving to Hashem. So you connect the two opposites together. The Beit HaMikdash, the exact same thing. The Mikdash was for the sake of taking the physicality of this world, bringing korbanot, animals, sacrificing them, turning them into a reach nechoat, noach, reach nechoach, a pleasant fragrance for Hashem taking something physical, bring it to connect to Hashem. So it's again connecting two opposites. So this idea of Kedusha, also sanctification, the word to sanctify, like modesty, to be Kadosh, that Am Yisrael, we're called Am Kadosh. Why? Because we purposely restrict ourselves. We don't eat milk and meat. We don't eat non-kosher. We have restrictions. We dress in a certain way. We have 613 mitzvot, which on one hand restrict us, and but the purpose of the restriction is to sanctify us. <laughs> Mikdash. And in order to know how to properly restrict myself, I need that. The purpose of learning Torah, like Rashi brings down, the purpose of Tachlit Torah is Tshuva Masim Tobim. The goal of Torah study is to know what to do, to become a better person, to change, to come back to Hashem, and to change, to learn, to be re-educated how to live as a Jew. That's the idea of learning Torah. That's the goal. The Mikdash, that's the sanctuary of Hashem also. Mikdash also is that it's separated from this physical world. It's in between this world and the upper world, the, the, the heavenly bodies. That was the Beit HaMikdash. And someone who has Da'at is like that. A Jew who merits what's called true Da'at, it shines within him. And many people learn Torah, but it's Iksecha, it's intellectual. It's the first stage. What do you do with it? What do you do if you're a Da'afiyomi? You're learning Gemara, okay, great, bravo. You finish us and with Rashi, Tosfot, all the, all the commentaries, bravo, shoyach. What next? What do you mean, what next? The goal is Torah study. No. The goal of Torah study is like Rashi says, masim tovim. The goal of the Torah study is to change you. It doesn't necessarily happen automatically. It happens automatically if you're mechaven. You see, konenu yadecha. The Pasuk is so careful in every word. What does the verse read? Mikdash Hashem. The sanctuary of Hashem, holy da'at that brings to Dusha, is on condition that there's what's called konenu yadecha. The word konenu means also to establish. The word konenu is connected to what he said earlier. If you're a Baal Nefesh, you have to direct your ratzon. If you're just learning Torah and there's no kivun ratzon, you get lost because you can get so lost in the Torah. You can lose track when learning Torah. That's why a person always needs a reminder. Always needs to refresh and remind himself why he's learning Torah, okay? So, in order for the Torah, 
the sikhn of the Torah to become a mikdash, the dot which will lift me up, I have to direct to it. I have to work for it. It's not going to happen automatically. Oh, he's learning, he's learning. So he's changing. There's, there's, it's true. We're not going to deny that there's no change. There's a change. But the change that you need to get to requires on lechaven et You must direct desire towards that. That's like lechaven ratzon. Okay? With this, I think we've covered enough, at least for what we need, on this paragraph, section five. Okay? On all the verses, the idea of the sechem, the, the goal of a person now, once a person now lifts the mitzvah up by doing it with simcha, he comes to the level of the hands. So at this point now, at the end of the of the of all these previous paragraphs, Rabbi Nachman goes back to quote an idea from the Kabbalah. So he says, everything we just mentioned now about the dot and the hands, he says, this is the concept of the following. This is the concept we just mentioned now of drawing the blessing of intellect in the hands. And it was receiving the blessing, excuse me, of, of intellect in the hands. This is what the Kabbalah calls that chesed tiferet, chesed tiferet in the Kabbalah, in the anthropomorphisms of the Torah, of the Kabbalah, the chesed corresponds to what's called the right hand, the right arm. Gvura uh, is the left arm. Tiferet is the torso. So it's the whole area of the arms. In the sense, the torso is like the middle arm, where the hands join, because the, jo the, the arms are joined by the middle part of the body. With the torso, so it's considered like a middle hand. So the sense like three hands here, the hand of Chesed, the hand of Vura, and the joining of the two hands, making the hand of Tiferet, which is corresponding to the torso. So this is the concept we mentioned now, that Chabat which are the level of the hands, they go up a level and become a garment and clothe what's called says that the spirit go up a level. This is a concept we went into a lot initially in the class. Is that the, 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 the lower spirit of the arm level now go up to the level of the mind. The mind has also three sections. The brain. The concept of the brain is what's called chokhmah which is initial pieces of information, of, of, of knowledge. Bina is the ability to deduct and understand and infer new items from this piece of wisdom, of knowledge. And then that, like Rashi says, it's Ruach HaKodesh. It's being able to properly mend and join the Chokhmah and Bina together. And how the product you have is that. But it's called Ruach HaKodesh because you need a lot of emuna and a lot of spiritual inputs that your deduction in Bina is done correctly. You have the ability to deduce, right, and to make decisions and everything, but you will still need divine intervention of divine inspiration that how you are interpreting with Bina, the Chokhmah, makes proper that, okay? And that, we say, is through Simcha. So here, when Rabbi Nachman is saying, everything we spoke about until now, all these concepts of the hands, course, bringing, bring, being the vessel for the sechel intellect is what the Kabbalah uses, this term from the Kabbalah, of chagat, chesed, tiferet, becoming a garment to chokhmah binadat, it's that the, the wisdom, the knowledge, intellect, is now in the hands. The hands go up to the level, they enclose the brain, meaning that the way for me to perceive chokhmah binadat is through the hands, and the hands came about through the legs, 
And the legs came about through do, do lifting up the Kedusha, the mitzvah from the Klippot. By doing the mitzvot of joy, just a quick summary, you're able to lift up the Shekhinah, the divine presence, the holy sparks, the holiness which is trapped and stuck in the evil domain, to release them from there, going up to the level of the legs. What does that mean, the legs? That now your mitzvah that you lifted out, the holiness, the sparks that you elevated, they gain momentum. They gain momentum and movement, being able, like a molecule, to shake up all the other molecules around them, that the mitzvah you did now with joy now has an impact as a rippled effect on everything in creation. Yes, your little mitzvah done b'simcha has an effect, has an impact on the world. That's the idea of the legs. The legs, like they move. So to the mitzvah begins to move. There's, there's motion, there's movement. Then that leads to the concept of the hands. Hands, like this, receive. When your hands are opened, right? The verse he brought up, Nachman, et yadecha. And when we say it, we open our hands. Hashem opens his hands, yes, in order to receive from his Hashem's high level of compassion to bring down to his hands as if, as if Hashem has hands. And us also, we're receiving from a higher level downwards so the palms can give. In order to give, you have to first have. You have to receive in order to give. So we receive. The hands receive what inside of them? What's above them? The chokhmah, bina, da. With this, we have whew, finally finished paragraph five. Thank you for joining. Bezat Hashem. Next class, we will now finally review these concepts from Rav Nossin's prayer. It's an unbelievable experience to re-decipher, to re-express the ideas of Likute Moran in prayer format. You'll flip out when you see it, if you've never seen it before. But when the heart now is involved, when prayer is involved in expressing these ideas, it's a different volume. The clarity is much, much higher, which is why in order to really learn the Kutei Moran, you need to say a lot of the Kutei Tfilot, also the prayer on this lesson, on this lesson that you learned. To be continued, thank you everybody for joining. Until next time. Shalom, shalom.